You're now listening to Sandy at the Movies, beloved classic edition. Today we're talking about a beloved movie that everyone's seen, everyone loves. How could they not? How could they have not seen it? How could they have not loved it? It's none other than 1985's Return to Oz, a Walt Disney Pictures production. Kind of an unofficial sequel to the beloved, in a non-sarcastic way, 1939 metro Golden meyer film, The Wizard of Oz. Now, Return of Oz, if you haven't heard of it, which is not entirely unlikely, is beloved by certain people, namely people that discovered it at a youngish age, like Mr. Solzer here, mm-hmm. tend to remember it fondly, and it's kind of a cult classic, but it is not and was not an actual popular movie that performed well. In fact, it was rejected by the audience and critically lambasted upon its release. Some of that perhaps just bringing being that people could not shake the baggage of the 1939 MGM Judy Garland movie, which you can kind of understand and which this movie is resolutely not. Or maybe, I don't know, maybe Disney misplayed their hand maybe they tried too much to connect it to the mgm movie which you can't blame them for trying but that made for some dissatisfied customers after they saw return to oz in any Uh case over on san sound of sanity we read the book the wonderful wizard of oz and so now we are talking about well we talked about wizard of oz you know that because you heard us talk about it on a previous podcast and so we thought we would return to the wonderful world of Oz in this film, an adaptation of The Marvelous Land of Oz and Ozma of Oz. And yeah, we're going to talk about it. We're going to talk about it. You can watch this on Disney Plus if you have Disney Plus. If you're one of those people giving money to that corporation, you can watch it. And we could, you can have seen it. But we watched it and we're going to talk about it. And who are we? Well, I'm Nathan. I'm your humble and obedient host. We've got Ben right there. He's the Hello. preacher who's a teacher of cinema. Ben, I want to ask you about your baggage with this film, but that requires me to push this button. It doesn't matter. It's in the past. <laughs> yeah, but it still hurts. Oh, yes, the past can't hurt. I never look back, darling. It distracts from the now. Uh, we've talked about this on multiple podcasts in one way or another, but what is your baggage with Return to Oz specifically? So when I was... In elementary school, I think, and it was great. I uh, remember always liking it, always being a fan, finding the horror elements of this movie just right, just calibrated correctly for a little kid, not being a kid who liked horror, but being a kid who liked to be scared in the context of an adventure. I was very happy with this movie, and it was one of my first touchstones that I can think of or remember for a kid's fantasy movie. So, I mean, I'm sure that there's stuff like American Tale and other Disney things that go in there, too. But Your favorite film, Willow, Tom Cruise's Legend. I know you're a big fan of... Willow, we, we did grow... I n- I've never seen Legend. We grew up watching Willow over and over again on a recorded copy, on a VHS recorded copy. That's really funny. Yeah. So it actually was a favorite. We watched it a bajillion times. Kind of loved it. Would probably hate it now. I haven't gone back. Who wants to? Me! All right. No, not Let's talk about No, <laughs> we're not going to talk about Will. Yeah. Uh, I saw this movie as an adult. I had heard about it a lot over the years as kind of a cult classic. Mm-hmm. People like Ben, people who 
don't care about this movie or really don't care about this movie and probably haven't even seen this movie. People who do like this movie tend to like it quite a bit. And so I'd talk to a lot of people who were Return to Oz heads, uh, Return to Oziacs. Yeah. And they all said, Nathan, you should see this movie. So I finally caught up with it. And what did I think about it? Well, I liked it. But I'll have more to say when we get to that part. First, though, let me provide a little context. This movie has an interesting history. Let me explain. No, there is too much. Let me sum up. You may think you know what you're dealing with, but believe me, you don't. So this movie begins, as all great films do, with a production rights issue. Disney had the rights to the Oz stories, and they were going to lapse unless they made a movie. And so... Around that time, a gentleman named Walter Murch had a production meeting with the Disney production people, and he mentioned that he'd be interested in making an Oz film and had been kind of kicking around ideas for one. And they were like, sweet, we have the Oz rights. They are going to expire if we don't make a movie. And so please, Mr. Walter Murch, make a movie. And so he did. Now, if I'm remembering correctly... At some some point within the production of the movie, the rights expired in the sense that it basically hit the public domain. And so it didn't huh. all the rights stuff didn't actually end up mattering that much. The thing that did matter was that MGM owned certain proprietary rights that weren't going to expire, like to the Ruby Slippers, which are not an invention of Bomb, but an invention of MGM. And so Disney actually paid a lot of money to MGM in order to use the Ruby Slippers in this movie as opposed to the silver slippers. The silver slippers. From the book. I don't know, not, not know why they didn't just go ahead and pay for the rights to some of the other iconography. Maybe they just didn't feel like spending the money. But, you know, as long as you're going to do the ruby slippers, why not have the Emerald City, the iconic Emerald City? And maybe, man, I wish they'd pay for the scarecrow because the, the one thing I really hate about this movie is its conception of the scarecrow. <laughs> <laughs> but in any case, Walter Birch is an interesting fella, a very successful fella in almost everything he's done that isn't Return to Oz, but he's not primarily known as a director. Return to Oz was kind of his big shot, and he fumbled the ball, at least in the eyes of the critics and in the eyes of the people that count money, because there wasn't much to be counted. But he's quite a beloved and respected film editor and sound designer and he's responsible for some real classics working with some of the greats so he's one of those names if you read film history or you're interested in the whole era of lucas and spielberg and scorsese you know the sort of film brat generation you've heard merch's name because he co-wrote the screenplay for THX 1138 with george lucas for crying out loud i mean he was just like part of the circle he did the sound effects on the godfather he did the sound effects and kind of the sound montage in american graffiti which if people have seen or haven't seen american graffiti the thing to know about that movie is it has a very dense soundtrack that uses it was kind of one of the first movies to license a bunch of pop songs and use that to sort of create the texture of the movie something we take for granted now but that kind of diegetic music and diegetic sound hadn't really been used in that way very much until American Graffiti. And so super famous, if you've ever seen like a Martin Scorsese film or Paul Thomas Anderson, you know, these guys that use music from popular music from the time period of the movie and kind of layer it in. Uh, American Graffiti is kind of the movie that 
did that first. And so his sound design in that movie is very famous. And then he did both the sound and the visual editing for Couple as the conversation, which is kind of a weird movie, but and and, and not a very likable one. Nope. But can't confirm. But it's certainly dense and brilliant and sophisticated in the way that it uses sound and visuals. As is the Godfather Part Two, which he did sound for, and then one of the most famous kind of masterpieces, kind of the masterpiece that closes the door on that whole era of seventies auteur filmmaking was Apocalypse Now. And he was the editor and the sound guy for that. And then he's done other things. Like he was the editor and the sound guy for the English patient, talented Mr. Ripley. K-19, the Widowmaker, <laughs> another classic. First yeah. night. I mean, he's so... Okay. But he's Francis Ford Coppola's guy, it looks like. Yeah, he's primarily. Francis Ford Coppola's guy. I mean, he's been responsible for the, rest, the various restorations that Coppola's done of Apocalypse Now. That has different versions that have come out with deleted scenes and stuff like that. Merch was responsible, was the kind of the architect of the restoration of an Orson Welles film called Touch of Evil that uh, the studio famously butchered when it came out in 1958. Mm. But then at a certain point, they discovered some additional footage and they took a memo that Welles had written before he died to the studio begging them to make this or that changes. And they went back and they tried to sort of find Welles' vision. And people will argue about whether they did or not, but the point is it's a pretty cool work of restoration and it certainly is a better movie than the theatrical released Touch of Evil. And yeah, Merch is a really important figure in the late mid-century sort of, you know, in the the 1970s era of experimental filmmaking and all these guys like Lucas and Coppola and Spielberg kind of finding their footing. Merch, Merch was like mm. one of their buds and helped do all this stuff. So see, he's actually a really important guy. He's not that important, historically speaking, for his directing career, which consists of, I'm pretty sure, just Return to Oz. Uh, Return to Oz was his attempt in 1985 to sort of break into being a film director. And as I've mentioned multiple times now, it wasn't very well received. And so it, it, it didn't go well. The interesting thing about the film was that Merch was not known as a director at the time. And so the studio didn't really know whether they wanted to trust him. At a certain point, George Lucas, I mean, this will tell you how tidy he was with that whole circle. George Lucas agreed that he would step in he would be on tap to step in and direct the film if Merch couldn't hmm. finish it. And so that was what the studio, that was kind of the, what do you call it? The uh, assurance, the surety, uh-huh. the surety that the studio had. Huh. I don't know what else there is to really say about the movie itself. I mean, it obviously is its own take on the L. Frank Baum mythos. It was very self-consciously going in a darker direction. As you'll see if you watch the movie, it's it's in some ways, at least to my understanding, you can confirm or deny this, Ben, it actually a, a direction that's a little bit darker than the books themselves go. That's my memory. So, yeah, the tone of the film is darker. You don't have Dorothy getting electroshock therapy at any point in the books. The tone of the books of the world outside odds is going to be warmer, brighter, happier. It's not going to be this kind of thing. So this feels... This is an aggressively dark movie in that sense. Hey, it's bad out here. It's really bad. It's so bad that we're going to give you like a mini kids horror suspense movie leading into 
Oz adventures that are also pretty dark. Yes. Yeah. And it's the the way that the movie is shot, just the way that it's conceived, just kind of the the aesthetic of the movie is mm-hmm. a little bit grimy, a little bit dark, a little bit like you could imagine the same material, even the same screenplay being done in a more cheerful manner than the one that they uh-huh. ultimately chose to employ. In any case, I don't think there's that much more to say about the movie, the making of the film itself. Merch did his best. I think the studio fired him at one point and then rehired him. But he got to make the movie that he wanted to make at the end of the day. This, As I've said before, I think even in this series, Disney was in a weird place. Dark Cauldron comes out around this time. Mm-hmm. Disney, the, the, the Walt, Walt Disney himself was long dead at this point and uh, died in the late 1960s. And all the kinds of projects that he'd been working on had had long since been exhausted. And Disney was trying to figure out how Mm -hmm. to carry the legacy. Within a few years, you'd have the animation renaissance that happened first with Great Mouse Detective and then most famously Little Mermaid into Beauty and the Beast and Aladdin and Lion King. And Disney was going to be on the top of the world where they've basically remained until now when they seem to be perhaps losing their footing. But Disney was in a weird period where they didn't really know what to do. They hadn't found like, what is it that the audience actually wants? What do kids want? What's our place in the ecosystem of Hollywood and of storytelling? What does the Disney brand mean? These were all open questions at the time. And so you had them taking stabs at more adult material or darker material or or just things that could kind of grow with the times. We're in the 80s now and kids don't just want to see cute talking mice and Cinderella. So it turns out kids actually do still like that stuff. And what they discovered is, oh, we should go back and just do mm-hmm. big, splashy, Broadway-infused kind of family films like Little Mermaid or Beauty and the Beast. But at the time, the thinking was, well, we have to grow up with the audience. We have to change with the times. We need to ditch the musical numbers. We need to huh. find something. And so you have just these weird stabs at things. You know, you got like hmm. movies that have their charms. Things like The Rescuers, I think, came after Disney was dead. And around this time, you have Oliver and Company. Mm-hmm. And Black Cauldron, of course, is the famous swing and a miss. The most mm-hmm. famous swing and the miss. But they had this whole live action line of things that they were trying at the time and return of the Oz return of the Oz return to Oz is probably the best of them. The other one that has some fans, although I'm not one of them is their adaptation of Ray Bradbury, something wicked this way comes, which is a novel that I like quite a bit, but the, I haven't seen that. It loses a lot of bite in the movie. You have Jonathan price playing Mr. Dark and that's fun. Mm -hmm. Jonathan price is a good Mr. Dark, but it's kind of sentimental and it's not really spooky enough to, sell Bradbury's material I wouldn't say it feels pretty disnified even though I mean it just feels like like so many things like Return to Oz to some degree they all kind of feel caught in this weird nether world where they can't quite just be bursting with life you know have the vitality of a real uh-huh. fairy tale or just like <laughs> big splashy entertainment like Disney's famous for but also it can't really be as dark or adult or interesting or esoteric or artistic as they might want to be and so you kind of get the worst of both worlds, unfortunately, with a lot of stuff from around this time. You can talk about whether that's Return to Oz. In fact, let's ask this very question as we give our point of view on this film. Luke, you're going to find that many of the truths we cling to 
depend greatly on our own point of view. Good as a point of view, anyway. So, Ben, you like this film? Do you, did you still like this film? How, how long had it been since you had seen it? Oh, I might have seen it five years ago. Maybe. I feel like that's about right. And I kind of loved it. I'm a pretty big fan of this movie. I'm a big fan because this Dorothy is the Dorothy of the books. Mm-hmm. The tone may be a little darker than the books go, but this is the book's Dorothy in her sort of can-do pluck and that characterization of a little girl who has courage and is just going to do the right thing and even when things get really scary she's actually pretty chill about it that's what makes the movie tick it makes it work Mm. i think if it had been if it had been a little girl who was scared by the scary things in a normal way the movie would have just felt screechy and unpleasant and not been much fun yeah it's not much fun to watch someone a poor little girl be terrified through Mm. a movie but Dorothy just takes it, takes everything in stride. Oh, it's a headless queen. Oh, I'm falling through the air. The characters, <laughs> Jack Pumpkinhead is apologizing because she's, Dorothy's falling through the air. It can't be helped, Jack. That's what, that's this Dorothy. That's what she's going to say. And that's, that's much like Dorothy from the books. Like, right. Well, okay. Next thing, just kind of a Midwest, take it as it comes, little girl who's pretty secure in herself and who she is and cares about her friends and is just going to do the next thing that she can do to get out of these terrible (laughs) situations in Oz. Mm -hmm. And I I love that quality of the movie. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm a fan of that quality in the books. And the succession of episodes and characters is really fun. Not everything works equally well, especially like in retrospect, especially now, special effects wise. Right. But I think that the charm of the characters almost always works. You have things like TikTok, which is a wonderful creation. Of yeah, the he's, he's, he might be my favorite. He's probably my favorite. I mean, I can't think of anything so cool in a recent movie. I could think... Now, there's a cool CG version of TikTok you could do. Mm-hmm. But this live action version of this unique, fun machine man mm-hmm. is... It just feels perfect. So there's some things that feel so much like the book. And just even what you'd want to see if you could imagine your own version. Some things are just nailed. Some things are like, well, he was doing the best he could or figuring it out. And, but all of it, I think, this film feels very generous with its characters and its sets are kind of amazing. Mombi's mm-hmm. Palace is the best set, yeah. I think. Mombi's Palace is just an amazing set. And it, it, he just wants to move you from strange locale to strange new locale. And... I don't know. I think as a kid, I really like the kind of storyline where you come back to your favorite place and it's ruined and now you have to save it. Mm -hmm. So I loved the idea of the yellow brick road being ruined and Dorothy just being aghast at the yellow brick road is ruined, the Emerald City is ruined, everyone is turned to stone. I was like, ah, this is a great setup for a story. I'm so excited. Mm -hmm. How's it going to be restored? How can she get it back? Can she get it back? So I loved that sort of that sort of thing. And, and, this, and so this movie is just going to tick a lot of boxes that I enjoy, even if there's some parts that are clunkier or where the effects are like old enough that you feel them. They're a little grating. Right. But even in some places where things are experimental and don't 100% work, boy, that claymation is a lot of fun. Claymation gnomes. Yes, I, gnome I love the gnome king in his rock form and yeah. his little 
rock minion that reports yeah. to him and stuff like that is great. A chicken. <laughs> There's a lot of stuff like that. There's the fact that Dorothy just has to solve all these puzzles and riddles and problems. Mm-hmm. And then there's the fun of all, like Jack Pumpkinhead is a great character. Love him. Mm-hmm. I think the Gump is pretty fun. Belina's pretty fun. You get a chicken instead of Toto. But everyone is sort of saucy. Everyone has some wit. Everyone has some jokes. Mm-hmm. And they just keep coming. Yep. Just one thing after another. This movie is like, we're going to pile it on. We're not slowing down. Here's another visual idea. Here's, here's another gag. Here's another escapade. Here's another new character. I, I just... What movie were we talking about recently that was so generous that way? Or were was it you and me, or was it was I talking with someone else about this kind of thing? Yeah, I don't know. We certainly talked about this kind of thing before. We have, yeah. Now let me ask you this: mm-hmm. Are those are those like personal thoughts based on where you were when you discovered the movie and the affection you have for it? Would you say that the average person listening to this podcast will go to the movie and find everything? And, and this is sounds like a leading question. No, no, it's fine. Maybe I don't, it's a, I don't maybe, mind it. Maybe it is a little bit, but would you say that they would find all the everything that you just described there to their own satisfaction if they came to this movie fresh? No, I don't think so. But I, that takes a little answering. The reason I don't think so is that I think people will, because of their association with and love for the original Wizard of Oz musical film, they'll come if they come to this. They might be put off by the dark tone, mm-hmm. the lack of songs. It is such a completely different kind of movie than the musical that it's just, it, depending on your associations, man, it could really put you off and leave a bad taste in your mouth. There is something mean-spirited about Dorothy going for electric shock therapy, although I have to say, I really enjoyed the silly, pulpy, sort of kid version of suspense, horror stuff going on. With Dorothy being checked in. Yeah, I mean, it's... It's funny. It's cheesy is not quite the right word. But it's over the top. Mm -hmm. It is just... (laughs) It is more a joke for adults than for kids. Yeah, it's played on a very gothic kind of level. That's right. It's super gothic. I think for a kid, if your kid can handle it, it's sort of a delicious thrill. Because it's like the director is trusting the kid to handle it the way that Dorothy does. Which is Dorothy is just like, well... I'm here in this horrifying circumstance. The best that I can do is to bear up. Mm-hmm. And again, that quality is what I think ultimately makes the films, the, the movie charming and not mean. Right. I think that's very intentional. I think it was a very dicey thing for Walter Murch to do. I don't know what Disney was thinking, mm-hmm. letting him try it. Honestly, I don't understand how he got away with it creatively. I'm a big fan of that choice oh, on the whole. Mm-hmm. I, I'm not saying I would have made the same film he made if I were the one making this movie. But boy, do I enjoy it. And I, I like the thought of of figuring out if my kid someday is old enough to handle it mm-hmm. on the level of intensity that it, that, it, that it might present to a kid. Although I can't remember feeling bothered by this stuff watching it when I was in elementary school. Yeah, I mean, I think it walks the line pretty well. People right. enjoy the narrative of, yeah. oh, it was the dark one that no one liked and they overdid it on the dark. That's right. like a fun story to tell. But when you watch the actual movie, yeah. it's like... It's not that bad. I mean, they don't actually go through with the electrical shock therapy. They, they just, don't. They just no. They threaten it, which is its own kind of weird <laughs> bad taste. But and they come pretty close in a silly way. But and there's the hall of heads and the wheelers are creepy and stuff. But it's not outside the realm. It's creepy in a pretty fun way. Well, The Empire Strikes Back has more genuine archetypal 
scary stuff in it, like the cave that Luke goes. Like, there are kids' movies that are scarier than this one, I would say. Yeah, I, I would agree. And I, so I guess I'm saying it kind of depends on what you want or what you're prepared for. If you come into this movie with any knowledge of the original Oz books and, or if an affection for them, and if, you, if you're like, I like Grimm's fairy tales and I like stuff like that, then I think this could be just the movie for you. It could just scratch an itch that I, most movies do not successfully scratch. We could talk about Disney movies. Mm-hmm. But this movie is even more, it's even more Oz or fairy tale than Disney movies. It's, it doesn't really dull the edge right. of that kind of thing. And if, you, if this sounds good to you, you're probably going to like it. If you want something that's just warmer and sweeter and mm, has, a diff- has more the texture of the Wizard of Oz movie, then you, uh, you, this is just not that at right. all. And apparently enough people at the time filtered it that way exactly, that, that this movie was reviled. You, I mean, you can watch like e- Siskel and Ebert's review and they're just like, aghast what were they thinking they put it on their worst of 1985 list like how could you make because they're not thinking about frank alfred uh-huh. bomb or anything they're just like they made a <laughs> sequel to the judy garland movie and it has electric shock therapy what are you talking what were they thinking this is ridiculous oh man um and you uh, can you can understand that absolutely i can understand it but i personally i love it i don't know if i'm quite willing to call it a great movie but i'm probably almost there yeah, I think um, it comes pretty close. So I have less nostalgia and built-in affection for it than you do. And I have more affection for the MGM movie. Mm-hmm. I, I like it. And I think there are great sequences. And I think Dorothy's great. I, I think watching it this time, it is – there's a sort of dourness that it has that I don't like. Mm-hmm. And that's as much a visual thing. Like it just mm-hmm. looks grimy. It looks muddy. It looks unpleasant. A lot of the time. I mean, I like the sets and stuff. I'm not disagreeing mm-hmm. with anything that you just said. Sure. But it's just, it's got that kind of soft photography that a lot of 80s movies have. Kind of fuzzy, uh, smoky, kind of just soot <laughs> attached to the camera kind of uh-huh. feeling. Which Willow and Legend and things like that also have. I don't know if this is just the preferred sort of nomenclature for how you did a fantasy movie at the time or something. Uh-huh. But it's not my favorite sort of aesthetic. And it does feel a little, there, there is a feeling of dourness or squalidness that attends some of it with the electroshock therapy, with the mm-hmm. sort of, well, there's the Emerald City and it's in pieces and with some of the chintzier special effects. Just the fact that Pumpkinhead's mouth isn't, doesn't actually articulate, things like that, that uh-huh. are turnoffs to me. But I love the go go for broke nature of what they're doing with the fantasy stuff. I love the wheelers. I love the I love Mombi and her hall of heads. And there's a great sort of kids horror sequence where Dorothy has to sneak in to get just do a little fetch quest and get something from Mombi. I don't even remember what it was. It was a, a key. Key, yeah. Of course, it was a key. And then and all the heads start screaming at her and stuff like that. And it's pretty. <laughs> it reaches a kind of gothic pitch that I enjoy, <laughs> as does the electroshock stuff. <laughs> With the evil sort of grand Victorian doctor who's obviously somehow in the grand tradition of all evil Victorian doctors, probably enjoying himself more than he should with his machines and his inventions. And and the Mm -hmm. Gnome King's great. The desert's great. A lot of the special effects are really cool. Even the ones that even the ones that don't quite work are like 
ambitious in a way that's fun if you like the that kind of stuff if you like mm-hmm. fantasy from that era or science fiction movies the amblin stuff stuff we talked about stuff we, we will talk about in a heretofore unreleased episode on big trouble in little china which will come out uh-huh. sometime after november so there's a lot that i really like about this movie i don't have the affection that you have for it and i i think there was no way I would because I didn't grow up with it. It's not really a movie that you can mm-hmm. probably come to for the first time in your late 20s or early 30s or whatever I was when I first saw it and have the same connection. But that goes for lots of maybe per- not perfectly yeah. wonderful movies. Yeah. But I like it. I'm trying to think. It's one thing it does take from the MGM film is it repeats the idea, which is not in the books. Right. But it's the idea that Dorothy's going to, everyone in the real world was going to become a character in right. the Oz world. And so you've got the doctor who invented the machine. You've got his clearly incredibly evil head nurse mm-hmm. <laughs> who wears a black gothic gown to dis- to show that she's basically a witch. Right. And they well, become the gnome, the gnome king and Mombi, the and witch Mombi. woman. So. That's right. And that's a lot of fun. And then the orderlies or the head orderly becomes the head wheeler. Mm-hmm. Stuff like that. That's pretty fun. Yes. Yeah. I liked all that stuff. A lot. And I do love her coterie of friends. I There's things I might criticize. Like, I wish Jack Pumpkin had, is that his name? Yeah, Jack Pumpkin. Uh-huh. I, wish his, I wish his mouth would move. That feels cheap to me. I or, don't think I ever wished that watching it this time. Yeah, I mean, it's, I don't think I w- wished it the first time. I just wished it this time for whatever huh. reason. Okay. But TikTok is awesome. TikTok is a genuinely, you would just wish they'd made 14 of these movies so you could spend more time with TikTok. Yeah, you do. And I mean, even Belina, the chicken is great like <laughs> and the gump is the, really uh, funny the gump is really funny the gump being this uh <laughs> ramshackle creature uh, incredibly ramshackle creature but it, that that's so oz right dorothy ties together the head of a gump who's like a moose like creature it was it's a mounted head onto a couple of couches and some broomsticks and creates this flying couch creature so so the gump is the only part that remains truly alive by the end of their adventure, but um, the head itself. But he gets some great jokes, like, mm-hmm. I should have stopped while I was ahead. Yep. <laughs> um, stuff like that. Yep. <laughs> he, he just can't believe that he's been created as this horrible ramshackle flying thing. <laughs> he comments on it quite a bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All um, that stuff's really great. Once, once she, much like the MGM movie, once she gets together with her friends, it, it really gets some extra juice. And the Gnome King... Great villain. I really like his animation a lot. It's great. And yeah. Uh, Let's see. I don't know what else we could say. No, it's ambitious. It has in Dorothy a certain kind of heroism that is a really nice thing in a kid's movie. Mm -hmm. And something that boys can appreciate as well as girls. Yeah, I'm tired of kids that are or characters in general that are over plucky, that never feel fear or any kind of human emotion, that just wisecrack their way, you uh-huh. know, um, that are attacked by a giant monster and say, well, I didn't see that coming. You know, I'm like so tired of the Joss Whedonification of entertainment uh-huh. in, in the post-MCU landscape. So, so, but on the other hand, like you don't just want a Dorothy that is simpering in the background or scared of everything. So I think this girl... Just feels like a regular girl, which is nice. And she yeah. has got some Midwestern pluck, but she's and, and and she's got some fairy tale logic. Sort of, I, right. I can be falling through the air and 
say, well, you know, whatever it is she says. <laughs> it can't be helped. It can't be helped. Yeah. <laughs> but she doesn't feel out of play. It doesn't feel like the movie's making a big thing about her being empowered or a big thing about her being helpless. She's just a girl that's got a job to do and does it with some pluck and some extra discernment. So, yeah, I really like her. I like her performance. What else is there to say about this film? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, it is, I think I would go with you on the, let's call it the dimness. You said things look kind of squalid, but Mm -hmm. the dimness, the grayness of the color palette chosen. Yeah, I wish there were some brighter colors more often Mm -hmm. in the movie. I do wish that. It works for certain sequences, certainly. It's just that by the time you've eaten the entire meal, you're like, well, it all kind of had that flavor and Mm -hmm. that. But I admire it for its, I don't know, it's... Even that felt a creative choice that had integrity in this movie. Yes. Whether or not you think it's completely the right choice is another question. Yes. I I would think I would say I do not, but it's also very of the time. It's one of the places where the movie just simply feels a little dated, I guess. But that's okay. Yep. Yep. It doesn't take away from the fact that I think you should see the movie. Uh, Harlan Ellison liked it. I'm seeing here on Wikipedia. That's funny. He said, it ain't Judy Garland, it ain't hip hop, but it's in the tradition of the original Oz books. Well, he was right about that. It certainly is. Good for you, Harlan. Wonder. So I didn't know that actor who played the doctor in The Gnome King, Nicole Williamson. Oh, he's great. I love him. Yeah, he's awesome. I read that he was like the Marlon Brando of Britain or something. He was talked about that way. Yes, he, well, he plays Mr. Badger in the Monty Python Wind in the Willows. Really? Seeing that, or, or okay. the Terry Jones Wind in the Willows. Uh, uh, okay. I know him in a, from a movie that's not that great, but that I have some affection for, which is the John Borman Excalibur. Did you huh. ever happen to see that one? Never did. He plays Merlin in that, and he's a pretty okay. good Merlin. Kind of like he is here, like kind of playing the more stern, kind of huh. weird and sort of Gandalf at his grumpiest aspects mm-hmm. of Merlin. He huh. does a good job on that and there's something else that i think a lot of people would know him from but i did look up his filmography a while back but i don't remember it now i will say that feruza balk who played dorothy has gone on to be in not really anything good it's kind of like in crummy horror movies and stuff what were you thinking feruza i don't know hey she was in Werner Herzog's Port Bad Lieutenant Colon Port of Call New Orleans <laughs> with Nicolas Cage. <laughs> Which may be a very good movie for all I know. <laughs> I don't know that I'll ever see it. But Werner Herzog is an interesting filmmaker. Yeah, I mean I've I've heard good things about that movie. I've never seen it. She was also in the island of Dr. Moreau, the Mount Marlon Brando Val Kilmer film, which is kind of funny. Um huh. Adam Sandler's The Water Boy. American History X, man, it looks like she had a run in the 90s of... Looks like she did. Almost Famous. Okay. She was in like a bunch of famous movies, not playing famous parts in those movies, but she did have a career. Uh, she's quite good. It's too bad that she did do more. What I actually wish watching this movie is that they they had made more of them. Me they, too. It feels like they really find their feet, and I just bet the, the, the second one in the series would have been spectacular. Like once you've sort of established mm-hmm. the rules of this particular version of Oz... I agree. You could really do oh, man. some stuff. I Yeah, I, I love that idea. You have a great Dorothy. You could have used her for several more movies. So. And they leave the door open. They, they do a nice, something that I sort of wish MGM would have done, which is they say, well, actually, there, there's a way back. Mm-hmm. There's The door to Oz is not 
slammed shut at the end of the movie. That's right. Um, yep, that's right. That would be great. It is fun to see everything in Oz, unlike in the MGM film, looking much more like the original illustrations from mm-hmm. the Book of Oz. You got Scarecrow, Tin Man, and Lion, Cowardly Lion, all look much more like the Denslow illustrations than anything else. And it's very different. I wouldn't, bl- I wouldn't blame someone for balking, <laughs> no pun intended. Ha, ha, ha. But, uh... <laughs> but I, <laughs> I feruza ball balked. I feruza balked pretty hard at the scarecrow. I, and I can understand the scarecrow is the hardest one to take, but it is pretty much in line with the way Bomb talks about him. Now, I think I'd like it better if his mouth moved, but I do like that he just looks like a big doll. I, I, I I'm, I'm a fan of that. I wouldn't mind, like, just as a still image, I actually don't mind him. Like, as a design, he's right. fine. And yeah. so is the Cowardly Lion, but they're both kind of lame in the execution unfortunately like they just the, the puppets don't move that well mm-hmm. um yeah and, if you could do a puppet plus a bit of cgi yes i think you might have just what you wanted yes i would agree with that <laughs> um i'm just trying to think it feels like there should be more to say about this movie i do like this movie i don't want to give it short shrift mm-hmm. i like it quite a bit i mean i think so much of your enjoyment, dear listener of this movie, will be based on your expectations and what you bring to the table. If, if what you want is a slightly dark sort of fairy tale, or if you like the bomb books, or if you're looking for something a little bit more like what we've been talking about, I think you might really love this movie. And I think it's just as likely that you grew up with the MGM movie. You have a very particular idea of Oz as a bright, cheerful, fun mm-hmm. sort of place full of corny jokes and there are a fair number of corny jokes to be fair yes that's true that's true (laughs) in this movie but you're just not going to get the same feeling it it doesn't give you the feeling i think some of it some of it actually they actually could have mitigated a lot of it i don't know how well it would have worked for this movie but a thing that is striking is that they can't use any of the themes from the mgm movie and just even using some of that music incident Mm -hmm. as as incident incidental background music would have linked it more which which might have been a big mistake probably this thing just needed to be its own thing maybe it needed to be its own thing even more maybe even having the ruby slippers was a mistake maybe even they should have deviated somewhat from bomb and just forgot about the scarecrow and like maybe what you needed to do was just cut as many ties as you possibly could with the mgm mm-hmm. movie just so you don't even no one even thinks about it while they're <sighs> watching this movie but that's so hard to do yeah you're trying to make an oz movie and it, the the problem is this movie was relying on cachet that people had from, and, and relying on um, the basic plot of the first movie even, in some sense. Yeah. So it was really, it was a tall order. It was quite an ambitious, gutsy, maybe dumb thing to do in some ways. <laughs> I don't want to say dumb, but you know what I mean. Yeah, I mean, it, it produced a pretty cool movie, but yeah, it's hard to imagine what they were thinking. Like, this was never going to work in terms of like commercially. It's a pretty like you have to sell it based on the old movie, but it's it's intentionally deviating from the old movie in a way that fans of the old movie probably won't appreciate. Yeah. It's like you would have had to market it as a counter Oz mm-hmm. from the start and tell people this is what we are doing. It doesn't sound like they did, though. Yeah. I mean, I've seen those kinds of campaigns work. I can't think of an example but there have been those kinds of marketing campaigns where it's like, now we're telling the real story. Uh-huh. Something know, like this that. This isn't not your dad's Oz kind of <laughs> something like that. Something like that. I'll tell you who is a heavy hitter that likes this movie is Neil Gaiman. 
Terrifying and visionary, funny and exciting, Return to Oz is one of the very best fantasy films I've ever seen. There you go. All right. Our modern era's premier fantasist saying this is one of his faves. Eh, That makes a lot of sense. This actually feels sort of, yeah, the guy that wrote Coraline, I could see him liking this. Definitely. It's got a little bit of that vibe. Coraline, there is a weird one. I don't like it. You'd think I would like it, but I don't like it. You don't like movie or book? I have never read the book. I might like the book. I don't like the movie. I actually don't like the movie for other reasons. I don't know if I like the book. I just don't like the... I don't know. I I don't like the resolute unwillingness to teach Coraline a lesson or to have her really be wrong. Mm -hmm. I find very irksome about that movie. Like, she's an unpleasant character. And I realize her parents suck and, like, she has a lot to Mm -hmm. be unhappy about. But it's just not fun to spend time with Coraline mm-hmm. and if the movie felt a little bit, but then the movie's kind of like doesn't want to turn itself into a fable about be careful what you wish for, even though it it is like, it can't help but be one. It's mm-hmm. in the structure of the story, but it kind of wants to say, well, you know, she got herself into this. She can get herself out. And <laughs> I don't know. I just, I don't dig that very much. And I don't know if that's the, the books the same way or not. <sighs> I'm trying to remember. Huh? Yep. I can't remember. Children are sure to be startled by the new film's bleakness, said the New York Times. It's a mechanical movie that never finds a real heart to engage an audience, says the San Francisco Chronicle. A grim downer, said the Boston Globe. Charmless, joyless, and songless, said Time Magazine. Yeah, I guess if you come into this expecting the Judy Garland movie, then you might feel some rancor. (laughs) But taken on its own terms, it is a good movie. Yeah. That's right. It's not a deep one, though, and I don't know that there's much more that I have to dig into. Anything else you want to say about... No, I don't think so. Return to Oz? Nah. All right. You recommend people watch this film? I definitely do. Good deal. I do the same, and uh, I don't know how many heads of Bombi out of 70 do you give it? Out of 70? I think I'm going to give it 65, actually. 65? Yeah. Take it on its own terms. I'll give it 65. I will give it 57. I feel like I have to dock some heads for special effects that don't hold up. And the, there is a there's a tonal thing, maybe maybe as much to the just look of it as mm-hmm. anything else that, that, do, that do, does feel downbeat to me in a way that I don't mind a movie taking a darker tone, but it feels downbeat, not in a way that I like. Mm-hmm. But so I've got to dock it a few heads for that. But it's a good film, and I recommend that people check it out unless you're just a hyper fan of the MGM film. And if this sounds horrible to you, if you're like, ugh, that's not, then you're probably right. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't yep. know that, I don't know that you, you want to take a risk. Nah. But if it sounds intriguing, then I dare say you might discover that you really like it. Well, in any case, until next time, folks. What is this, a man or a melon? <laughs>